Hello and welcome to episode 19 of The Figure Podcast. Each week we figure out people, numbers and images of the past, present and future. Presented by George Parkin and Charlotte Lorimer. Oh, we've gone for presented rather than hosted. I know! <laughs> I forgot actually all of the words. Right no, there. you did a great job. Uh, thanks. Um, so this week we have a pretty exciting episode actually, kind of I feel like quite different topics than we usually go for. I think we've for. thrown ourselves in. I feel like I've learned a lot about things that I should have known much more I know, about than I actually did. But that's did. the point of this podcast. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm really glad that we've chosen some things where it's pushed me slightly out of my comfort zone. Yeah, definitely. Lifelong not on the first learning. figure. No, not on the first figure, but lifelong learning, I think, is important. Absolutely. Yeah, so this week for me has definitely been about autumn. My favourite season yeah. of the whole it's year. It's definitely turned this week, hasn't it? It has. Waking um, up on Saturday and Sunday was just amazing. I love waking up in the rain. Yeah. Oh, oh, oh my God. <laughs> there is honestly nothing better. It's so and great. Then, and then realising the you don't have to go out in it. Yeah. You can just stay inside. Totally. Mm. And you've just got the rain like up against the window and you're just cosy and you're all cuddling in. Yeah. And then I just get up really slowly and I put my lovely slippers on and just make myself breakfast. And, and it's so nice. And I like being mm. Christmassy and I feel like that is starting to creep in, even though it isn't even October yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, the leaves are all starting to change, which I think is always beautiful. And then we've had things like Strictly Come Dancing start. That's always very autumn-y. Yeah. Like people going back to uni. Yeah, that's, that's been true. Me. That's true. Did you watch Strictly? I didn't. I've been watching Bodyguard. Also, okay. anyone who watched Bodyguard... Wait, you haven't seen it, have you? Okay. I've seen the first episode. What did you think of it? I went from Bodyguard to catching up on Strictly. <laughs> it was a great contrast. Did it, was it not really your thing? It's not really my thing, no. No, I feel like I'm really into the spy thrillers. Like, I'm I don't so think late to you. the party. I've basically started episode one when it's finished. No, I mean, that's fine. I'm looking forward to the cry that starts next week with Jenna Coleman about um, this woman whose son goes missing and it's like a big mystery and no one really knows what's happened. I love okay. series like that. Like, especially, there's nothing better than like a Scandinavian murder mystery. Oh, yes. I did not know that you were into that. I love it. And all, that's why I love the podcast, The Eastel Woman, which was the story of they're trying to find out like what happened to this woman who they think is a russian spy etc etc okay so up my street well i say that i'm not into those things sometimes i am and i've recently started listening to the audiobook of lethal white mm. which is the fourth robert galbraith book so this oh, yeah. is jk rowling writing as robert galbraith mm. and she didn't release that it was actually her writing it until i think the first two books had come out and they both chopped the t- like top the charts and they mm. are really well written yeah kind of murder mystery with strike with strike as the main man and Mm. um i saw the actor that paid strike at work drinks like two weeks ago oh i would have freaked out yeah i did a little i did a little no one else knew and then holiday granger played um robin in the series that was done by the bbc which was a really good adaptation Mm, it was brilliant so i've been really enjoying listening to that and weirdly i think i prefer stories over dramas Maybe because I don't like that it's quite... Real life. Real life when you're watching it sometimes. Bodyguard is a story, isn't it? Yeah. No, no, exactly. I did enjoy it, but it just... It didn't... um, I probably wouldn't watch the whole thing. Yeah, fair enough. Fair Mm. enough. Well, I learned a fun fact uh, from The Week Unwrapped on Friday. Mm -hmm. um, And I didn't realise this, that actually daylight saving, as we know it, um, the last time that we are legally bound to put the clocks forward is actually March 2019 and after that 
that's going to be the end um, as a central EU controlled thing. And we don't have to then go put Wait, our so clocks back. so this is part back. of Brexit? No, 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 it's not part of course. Let's not mention the B word, Charlotte. We've <laughs> <laughs> managed to get through two minutes. No, it's nothing to do with Brexit. It's just that that's, that's what... So, and then they take you through the history of daylight saving. And actually, everyone thinks it's to do with farming. And that's what's the orig- origins of it. But actually, it was the Germans in World War One that used it first in 1916 to save fuel. And England then followed a few weeks later. And then it stayed... How is it saving fuel? I, I believe it's to do with how long they were out at night or in the morning. It's basically okay. like if you've got... If it's darker... the chances of road traffic accidents and like how you drive and how far you drive is like altered or whatever wow there were several experiments as well during the 1900s uh turning the clock forward and backwards to see how it would affect road road traffic accidents and it does have an effect on it apparently um which is one of the reasons it stayed so that started in world war one and then it went back i think in between world one world war one and world war two and then it went they did daylight saving again during World War Two. Interestingly, if you think about Spain and Spain's position, this is this in the podcast, and how Spain is technically at the same time as France, Italy, Germany, and yet it's so much further west and south than all of those countries, if you think about it, right? Mm. And then Scotland, like the north of Scotland is technically, you know, and you think of south of England and north of Scotland there, miles apart but it was franco who wanted to align himself with hitler so made sure that spain had the same time as germany no yeah yeah um that's so interesting i've downloaded that episode of the week yeah listen to it haven't listened to it yet it's really good so um so that was really cool i don't know what we're gonna do when it comes to daylight saving after uh after may 2019 i I think that we should keep it i quite like it um well i mean for like Scotland and North and England. I love how I've said that. It's just like, well, obviously we're going to keep it if Charlotte wants it. <laughs> what do you think? Would you like to keep um, it? Should we have a referendum oh on it? God, no. Please, no more <laughs> referendums. Um, I don't know. I think actually, yeah, I think I quite like this, how the light is now. Like, I, like when it goes back, it's going to go back, isn't it, soon? Uh it's spring go forward back. full back yeah it's yes. gonna go back and then when you get out of work at six it will literally be pitch black i quite, i don't mind dark being darker in the mornings but this is where the road traffic thing comes because yeah. the traffic in the morning and that's where the accidents happen yeah um and obviously daylight like, i agree i don't yeah. mind it being darker in the mornings but then i quite like the the season breaker of it mm. that it just it feels like it marks a different yeah but it always messes up my sleep cycle the one when it goes forward i always lose an hour of sleep and i always feel really grumpy the next day because not only have i lost an hour in time but i've also lost an hour of sleep and it's always <laughs> on a sunday so the school it's always a school day on monday and it always is a terrible monday yeah i know what you mean yeah so who knows and then um another thing that i really enjoyed was the dailies episode called the spy who provoked putin um which we'll talk about in later on in the episode because we actually one of our sections about it um really fantastically produced really informative and again could listen to it three times um and also they did an episode called high school assault where they um were looking at the brett kavanaugh case um and all the kind of backlash to that and that was really great but we'll link those below um um, yeah, uh, I love how we've done some teasers for what's coming up. Yes, so let's get I on know. With the first figure. 
Our first figure is Dame Emma Thompson, the actress, who is the only person ever to win an Oscar for both acting and for screen writing. Didn't know that. That's my first fun fact of many. I'm going to read out a list of roles that she's played and then I want you to choose your top three. Okay. <laughs> it's very structured. Okay. okay. So Nanny McPhee in Nanny McPhee, Professor Trelawney in the Harry Potter series, Eleanor in Sense and Sensibility, Karen in Love Actually, Kate in The Tall Guy, uh, Dr. Rawlings in Bridget Jones' Baby, Charlotte in The Boat That Rocked, Margaret Schlegel in Howard's End, Fiona May in The Children Act, and then she was also the voice of Mrs. Potts in Beauty and the Beast, mm. and Eleanor in Brave. So are those her most notable ones? No, those are the ones that I really like. Oh yeah, because she has hundreds. I mean, it would be the entire And done so much Shakespeare, and I, I was looking at her doing much to do about nothing, because... I did that at school, and I always like to see who who's done the, those those particular roles. Anyway, um, okay, so my top three basic as, but they are Trelawney, obviously, yep. Nanny McPhee, yep. and uh, Love Actually character. Yeah, I thought you were going to go for those. Yeah, those are the really basic ones, but those I just love. I've got to say, those. Dr. Rawlings in Bridget Jones' oh, Baby. so good. I think that's her best... She's such a great supporting actress She's in that. so good in that. She makes that film. Like, if she wasn't there... It wouldn't be as good, and that's. But I what think there are so many that. films that are made entirely by Emma Thompson. Yeah, I know she's so brilliant. Like Love Actually wouldn't be anywhere near as good as it is mm. if it weren't for her. Well, speaking of Love, Love Actually, I found out fun fact while doing my research. Now, one of her most famous scenes ever is the scene in Love Actually where she realizes that her husband is having an affair because she finds this necklace that she thought was going to be for her. That she thought was going to be a CD case of Joni Mitchell. Uh, she thought the necklace was for her, but she actually got a CD. And realises that her husband is having an affair. She goes up to her room and it's Christmas and she has kids and she can't really show her true emotions in front of her family. And it's this heartbreaking scene that I think every single woman... I don't know why I say woman, but I think... I feel like everyone can either relate to that feeling or know someone who can or is just moved by it. And the reason I think that it's so good is she has said as of this year, that it actually was inspired by a true event. She was married to Kenneth Branagh for six or seven years. He's also in Harry Potter. Really? Yes, he plays Professor Lockhart in the second film. Of course he does. Yeah, so good. he's so good as that, as, as that, uh, as Professor Lockhart, sorry. I love it when, no, that's actually too much of a tangent. I was going <laughs> to say, when his wand backfires. I know, so good. And he goes, who are you? <laughs> and then he goes, who am I? Who am I? <laughs> so great it's great anyway so she was married to kenneth Branagh in the from the late 80s to the mid 90s and then he had an affair with helena bonham carter and apparently the scene in love actually is inspired by when she found out about the affair so i didn't know that right that what that's probably why it's so good is mm. that it's actually inspired by true events and i and i didn't realize that her dad was a film director and that she rejected acting her whole life until she got to cambridge and then joined cambridge footlights theater club which was the same theatre club that Stephen Fry and Hugh Laurie and like many of the... Rowan Atkinson. Rowan Atkinson and then just fell in love with it and, mm -hmm. and started acting. And I think at, Richard at Curtis as well. And yeah. she's been in lots of Richard Curtis's films. So obviously Bridget Jones' Baby, The Boat That Rocked, The Tall Guy and Love Actually are all Richard Curtis um, mm. written or produced. Yeah. And she... I just... I kind of love that we have this core of British actors who all yeah. met at university and there's a charisma and there's a kind of 
natural chemistry I think it feels that like goes it's different from them. the American kind of Hollywood mm. so I watched The Tall Guy for the first time this weekend ooh I haven't seen it it is definitely not my favourite but of the Richard Curtis films no it's it, um, but Emma Thompson is obviously brilliant in it and Rowan Atkinson is his wonderful funny self mm. um, but the reason I wanted to watch it is because it's mentioned in Emma Freud and Dolly Alderton's love stories and love, and Dolly says that is like the sex scene in that film is so much more real in like a weird way where he rolls over and he just has toast on his bum is it is it actually a realistic sex yeah, scene well it's like it's very uh wild in their own words <laughs> and they like roll over and they just crash and like everything just falls off the walls oh my God. and like any- anyway he ends up rolling over toast and i just think okay, that's really tan- funny quick tangent though so there are so many sex scenes <laughs> where people are rolling over and, and, and knock things over and i don't think i've knocked over enough things in, in my life thus far to really justify relating <laughs> to a scene like that <laughs> maybe i should anyway maybe, maybe. <clears throat> so yes. yeah so no so her dad was a he directed or wrote the magic roundabout mm. which was a children's program yeah that was really famous really really famous when our parents were growing up and her mum philida law is also an actress and was involved in nanny mcphee and in much ado about nothing with emma and they now live very close to each other in north london and nanny mcphee is the for her favourite role that she's ever played, and she describes her as wisdom incarnate. And I just, I like watching the interviews where she's talking about the character and what it means and the sort of magic of it, but as well as this, um, her getting more beautiful as the children get better, Mm. but then also the fact that she actually plays that role. And what I like about Emma Thompson is she's such... A wonderful actress and who isn't precious about the way that she looks in any role yeah and she will put on all of that makeup and have like the warts and everything and and the same with professor professor trelawney she's such a she's not only about her beauty do you know what i mean mm, absolutely because there are lots of actresses who are really brilliant actresses but they tend to play quite similar roles and I think Emma Thompson has more of a breadth mm. than many have mm. shown. Definitely. Um, she also um, was one of the first people to call out Harvey Weinstein um, as a predator, not a sex addict, which we all know now. Mm. But I think literally the day after or two days after Me Too went viral, um, she was basi- she basically gave an interview with Emily Maitland from the BBC and basically said, yeah, he's been a bully his entire career. And everyone knows it. And this is the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. Um, She's been really outspoken about that. Super outspoken about it. Um, She also says something that was fairly controversial at the time, which was she's never been predated on because she wasn't good looking enough, which was quite controversial. But, um, and I think Meryl Streep said something like that to similar, um, Mm. to a similar, in a similar vein. Um, And... I just thought that was interesting, and I think she got a lot of quite a, a lot of bad press for it. But yeah, it kind of the way that she described it on her Desert Island disc, which I would so highly recommend, and I think is actually one of the top listened to because when I went on to find it and re-listened to it, it said mm. best of the podcast Emma Thompson, mm. and it is one of the best. It's mm. really great. 
it's very warm and open and lovely and comforting and I listened to it on a beautiful walk on Sunday afternoon around um, London and one of the things she said is that she always says she said no and it was taken as an answer mm. and that she feels very lucky that that mm. happened throughout her career mm. um, yeah it's an interesting one mm. I guess you never really know if they're telling the whole truth or not and you never know if there are painful stories that actresses have to tell that are actually so painful that they can't even tell them. Yeah, or that it genuinely didn't happen to her. Yeah, totally. And, she, and that might be her thinking on it. Quite and I think on the feminism aspect of her uh, character, her most recent role in the Children Act as Fiona May, as this judge, and what I thought was good in the Children Act as an example of this was, I listened to a podcast ages ago and I can't remember which one it was, it was basically talking about male writers writing different characters and then struggling to write female characters that were funny or interesting and ending up writing lots of male characters and then just changing the name after they'd done the script and it becoming much more layered and nuanced and mm. interesting by doing that and completely yeah. legitimate and brilliant. Yeah. And I think that the way that they've done this, whether in real life, it was Alan Ward a male judge making this yeah, decision yeah. and then they've made it female it's added in loads of different other complex narratives that make it more interesting in yeah. that you've got this mother sort of giving she's not a mother she hasn't got her own children but she ends up being a sort of weird mother figure mm. to this weird, 17 year old weird parallel i've just thought of doctor who now being female that's yeah exactly that's it? a sort of similar thing yeah and, and i I'm, don't know I, at first i didn't know how i felt about it i was a bit uncomfortable i was like I think it's great. No, no, it obviously. But I'm used to Doctor Who being a man. I'm, I'm like Doc, D David Tennant and um, Christopher Eccleston. Yeah, like, they're all just like amazing. And I was like, oh, I wonder what it'll be like. Not I'm anti it. I just no. was like, oh, I wonder what it'll be like. And actually, it works really well. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's about exactly that. It's shaking up what we're used to mm. from hundreds of years of one gender dominating the other. Yeah. And we do. It's perfectly possible for us to now change mm. that up and to give different people a platform and to have different voices and ultimately make things a lot more interesting and thought-provoking also fun fact her husband um is greg wise who is Mountbatten in the crown any crown fans out there um and you said there was some f a funny story that you heard yeah through her desert island disc about how they met so i think it was a fortune teller who said to greg that he would meet his wife on a film or in a certain time frame or something. Yeah. And when he was filming Sense and Sensibility, which Emma Thompson acted in and wrote the screenplay for, he didn't think that it was her because she was married at the time. And so he pursued Kate Winslet <laughs> thinking that it's she was her. Gonna, clearly was going to be her. Yeah. And then obviously they ended up married and they've now got uh, two children, one of whom has been informally adopted from Rwanda mm -hmm. and the other is a girl called Gaia. Mm -hmm. I say girl. How old is she now? Um, I listened to the Desert Island disc she... and she was 10 at the time in that and I can't remember how old. I think a teenager. But yeah. um, interestingly, her son used to be a child soldier in Rwanda. Um, and yeah, they've adopted him into their family, which is really cool. Mm. The second figure this week is that 27 countries in total ordered more than 100 Russian diplomats to leave after the attempted assassination of Sergei Skripal and Yulia Skripal, which happened in 
March of this year in Salisbury, of all places. Um, I always find that quite ironic. That it it's is, in Salisbury. Yeah. That's like a really random place. I like the way that you were saying Salisbury. Salisbury. Um, no, because I remember when I first saw the story, I just thought, this is bloody random. Like, you know, with, you know, with Alexander Livinenko, which happened uh, 10 years ago, that was in central London in like Bloomsbury Hotel. That makes more sense, but you kind of like, what are they doing in uh, Salisbury? It adds to it, and I, I think that this is the sort of story that will become a film or a TV series Definitely. or something where it, it adds to the whole mystery and the really strangeness of it, that mm. it just is in this beautiful, quaint little I know. A town called Salisbury, which has one of the most beautiful cathedrals ever. Well, after listening to that daily episode, you now know why he was there. Yeah, exactly. And that was really interesting. So what happened was, wasn't that interesting, that episode, hearing about Putin and the history of Putin and how he was a KGB officer stationed in East Germany. And then when the fall of communist Russia happened in the early 90s, loads of, loads of KGB spies all over the world lost their job and they kind of lost... Uh, contact with the Kremlin and he was really devastated by this and to him that meant chaos and that Russia kind of not as a communist power meant a lot of destruction for him and how his rise to power and you know his relationship with Medvedev and how Mm -hmm. all of that Mm -hmm. um yeah it gave so much really interesting backstory to Putin and to Sergei Skripal yeah and how he wasn't a particularly noted Russian spy. No, there wasn't very much about him, but he then became ended a double up, agent. He became a double agent. Mm-hmm. He took money, obviously, from the British government to become part of MI6. Yeah. And to feed back information that he had gained mm-hmm. as his time as a Russian spy. Yeah. And then was jailed. Yeah, in two thousand was sentenced in two thousand four. And then in two thousand and ten he was so he, yeah, he was he a, was released yeah. as part of an exchange between the Americans and the Russians. And the so Russians. Medvedev became president with Putin as prime minister, and this was a way of Putin kind of retaining power, but also trying to be like demo- democratically elected. Blah blah blah. Don't think those words quite mm. uh, come into um, Putin as a general person, but whatever. Anyway, and Medvedev was very very pro building alliance with America, and he and Obama somehow came to many understandings about lots of different things, including. The fact that they wanted to trade uh, spies, spies who were in jail. Yeah, and they had um, imprisoned, I think, four Americans and, or no, mm. more than that, I think. Uh, and then the other thing British. that yeah. I learned that I had no idea about was mm. that um, Putin was so anti this disloyalness mm. and traitor as traitor aspect mm. of. Um, it wasn't just Sergei Skripal. I mean, when everything began to dissolve and collapse with the Soviet Union, and they didn't have their roles in the same way. Obviously, yeah. people were trying to find work. And I think that ultimately it's just money, really, isn't it? Yeah. And um, that it was then he ended up in Salisbury because he was pretty much hiding out his life. Well, isn't that so funny? In, the, in that episode, they talk about how he got on the plane, had some champagne in his flight to London, got to London, and was then basically relocated in, I think, what is essentially sort of like witness protection, but not witness protection and that they literally just relocated him the british government to salisbury where he could just live out his life um and on this particular occasion his daughter had come from russia to heathrow airport the day before Mm. the poisoning to visit him Mm -hmm. and there were these two agents that were just tracking him for days and followed her 
Um, and they apparently smeared what is we now know is Novichok um, on the doorknob. Which is a nerve agent. Which is a nerve agent and a chemical, a very, very strong military uh, Yeah, military-grade chemical. Chemical. And what was... What was interesting is that why did he use that instead of, you know, just being shot or being stabbed? or And why was it someone who wasn't so notable? And a lot of the conclusion of the things that I've read is that he basically just wanted to send a message to anyone out there who thought of being disloyal. Hmm. Don't, because mm-hmm. I will kill you. Yeah, and I think that the first time I heard that point made was by Bill Browder, mm-hmm. um, who's just such a fascinating man. And I really want to read his book, The Red Notice. It's so good. It's so easy to read and it's amazing. Um, Can you actually just explain a little bit about what... Yeah. Okay, this is going to be so hard to do succinctly, but give it a go. Just... Okay. So, Bill Browder, um, who is one of my mum's oldest oldest friends, um, he, long story short, invested and made a lot of money in Russia. I think over a billion dollars a lot of money. The Russian government, he paid tax on that money, 230 million. The Russian government took that money and then accused him of tax fraud. Once he figured out what was going on, he tried to get all of his team out of Russia um, because the Russians had raided his offices, they had questioned some of his uh, employees. Gosh, I hope I'm telling this right. Um, (laughs) And... One of his team, a lawyer named Sergei Magnitsky, refused to leave because he had all the evidence that proved that the government was stealing this money and dispersing it amongst several government officials. I think there were the 12. Um, there were 12 of them initially. And Bill was disbarred, like barred from coming into the country. And the opening scene in the book is the day where they deny him entry into Russia and they keep him in a cell overnight with no food, no water. Um, and he's really questioning, am I going to even get back mm. to my family? Is this the end? Mm. What is happening? And he hasn't been in Russia since, and that was in 2004. Um, and so his lawyer would not leave, remained in Russia. They arrested his lawyer, Sergei, and essentially tortured him to death. Um, and he had extreme, I mean, he was in what was sort of like a gulag, extreme conditions. And they gave him multiple offers to say, look, if you can just, ta- you, you just sign this document here, tell us Bill Browder is the real criminal, we'll let you go. And he refused. And he was murdered and died in November 2009. And ever since then, Bill has become an activist in getting the Magnitsky Act passed. And the Magnitsky Act is essentially or, you know, an act that he wants to get passed in America, UK, all over the world, to bar many Russian oligarchs from entering um, these countries, because that's where all their money is, and that's where it's tied up. That leads on to the next point. Yeah, Yeah, this is what he explained in this... Thank you for that uh, summary. Um, Was that okay? Yeah, it was brilliant. Okay. Um, (laughs) In this... um, video by now this world and they go through the whole poisoning and they interview different people about why he's been targeted and bill Mm. is one of the people who says it Mm. is this message to everybody all over Mm. the world don't you dare be disloyal because this is what can happen to you and it's doing it on a kind of world platform and using a military grade 
yeah nerve agent that can be traced to... back to Moscow like yeah. back to Russia yeah um, and Theresa May said that in her uh, speech to the House of Commons mm-hmm. she was like this can this is literally traceable back to Russia and mm. they are still denying it and um, the two men who were um, identified as the two attackers have obviously denied it and saying that they were just there you know to see the spiral and to see the clock and mm. I didn't know that apparently the clock and the spiral in Salisbury Cathedral is the, one of the oldest clocks yeah it's, Ever, yeah, it's medieval. still working. Mm. Uh, sidebar. Um, <laughs> but please, I really encourage every single... I, I feel like we need to do more about the Bill Browder, Sergei Magnitsky case. Because yeah, we will. I'm, I'm after you read Red Notice because it's so good. Um, but please go and look it up and look at the, mm. the, the video that but we've just, linked here because it's such an interesting just story. Just to say a l- little bit more about the Magnitsky act that he is trying to do. Mm. It is all about going after the Russian oligarchs and lobbying for sanctions and basically preventing Russian money from coming into places like London and New York, Mm. where there's so much real estate that has Mm. just been bumped up and up and up and up because it's Russians bidding against Russians. And they were talking about London, how they feel like it's a very safe place and it's wealthy. Close by. Close by, it's four-hour flights and Mm. all of the kind of benefits. And I was just like, Wow, That's this so is so obvious. It's so obvious, and it would be so powerful to stop Them certain coming people yeah. coming in. Yeah. And that's because that's what Putin and everybody cares about is the money. They it's don't. Money. They don't necessarily care about what has actually happened on the back of this poisoning, yeah. or is this over a hundred Russian diplomats being mm. barred from mm. certain countries? Yeah. That's not what's going to change. Mm the attitude and to protect people from being poisoned because the other thing is that what I found really interesting and this is I'm so glad that we chose to do this because I literally had hardly any idea about any of this it's so interesting once you see it you can't unsee it and actually it's so obvious now and it's so important Mm. that we actually raise awareness about this because it is ridiculous yeah but the decontamination process as well how much it's cost Mm. the police to do this and the even months and yeah, months after they said, it's all fine, it's all clear. And then this Nina Ritchie perfume bottle mm. is picked up by a man called Charlie Rowley mm-hmm. and is given to his girlfriend, Dawn Sturgis. And she died. And she died. Because mm, she sprayed it on herself. She sprayed it on herself yeah. and she died. Yeah. And then most recently, this has all been brought up in the news again recently because there has been something which is called a hoax and then not a hoax and then it's called a hoax and everyone's going back and forth. Mm. But there has been, there was a couple called Anna Shapiro and her husband, Alex King, and they were in uh, Prezzo in Salisbury, and they both fell ill, and they were worried that there was a poison aspect to this. And the latest that I've read is that her fears are genuine, they are looking into it, Mm. but it's been this weird extra twist to this whole story that has gone on since March, and involves so many different characters um, and there's a good Guardian article covering that of the kind of subplot that can go beyond all yeah. of these big major themes of the Soviet Union and poisoning. I and I would also argue that that's also some Russian somewhere trying to distract everyone from what's actually going on. By yeah, no, it absolutely could be. Ridic- yeah, ridic- kind of ridiculous allegation. There's also, a, I watched a really good talk by Vladimir Kara Mirza, who's been had two assassination attempts on his life mm. also the former president of ukraine he also was um that also had an assassination attempt on his life mm. um and alexander livinenko i mean 
the British government at the time proved he was poisoned by Russia and by Russian officials, but there was no consequence. And this is, comes with this sort of interest in the money and the property. Yeah. And just to quickly leave you on an interesting point, what I truly learned, what the Russian collusion with Trump, why that's an issue, is if you think about all the money that went into property in London, New York, who has so much property in New York? Trump. Who nearly went under three times in the last 30 years? Trump. Who managed to survive the financial crisis? Just Trump. And the reason he did that, there was so much Russian money funneled into that. And that's one of the reasons he doesn't want to show his tax returns, because that would be obvious. Mm. Also... Are those covered in the daily? Yes. I mean, me- over many, many episodes. Mm. Um, I, met, I, I noticed that Bill's I was name... scrolling through and I could see it and I was like, oh, that yeah. looks interesting. Yeah. Oh, so many good daily episodes on it. Um, also, Hillary Clinton um, was super keen to get the Magnitsky Act passed. Um, so was Obama actually um, and really keen to bar so many Russian officials Putin hated this obviously and that's why he launched the Putin Russia campaign to get Trump elected all big money and that was the motivation yeah scratching the surface on this but you've got me interested in Russia so interesting and it? it is very interesting so thank you for suggesting this The third figure that we are talking about today is a still from the launch of the Falcon Heavy, which is the rocket created by SpaceX, which is the company founded by Elon Musk. Yeah. And this has also been kind of come up in the news again recently, um, like the Skripal case, because the Japanese billionaire Yusaku Maizawa, I hope I've got that right in pronunciation, uh, has paid an undisclosed sum to become a man going around the moon Mm -hmm. in the rocket. It'll take one week. It's going to take place in 2023. Mm -hmm. And what I find most interesting about this is that he's taking eight artists with him of different uh, styles, or I think he'll take, you know, cartoonists and painters and all different artists of different mediums. Mm -hmm. And then they will reflect on their journey. Around the moon. Around the moon. Which is just a really mind-blowing thing to be happening. And 2023 isn't even that long away, like far away. I know. It's called the first lunar BFR mission. Um, Only 24 humans have been to the moon in history. And no one has visited since the last Apollo mission in 1972. So, that is pretty cool. Um, I didn't, I don't know. I never really got the space interest or the rocket uh, interest until... I've been around my mum at the moment a lot and she does a lot of work to do with the future of work and Elon Musk is a personal hero of of hers because he's all about sustainability, renewable energy, uh, life on Mars, a multi-planet system Mm -hmm. Um, and he basically, I was listening to a podcast earlier and he said that you require the least capital for a business that's starting in software because you just need to learn how to code it. And that's sort of how I started with PayPal. And mm-hmm. he said, all I did when I started PayPal is I had a load of college debt and I just learned how to code and I'd known that from my degree, etc. And then all the money he made from PayPal went into Tesla. And Tesla's super revolutionary because that's, I guess, the start and the precedent of having renewable energy for cars and transport. And then that's when he used this to fund SpaceX. Uh, which had so many failures in the beginning mm. of mm. its time. I think it's only that now that we're talking about it because it's actually becoming 
yeah. more successful. And the Falcon Heavy, the reason it was so significant and the reason that we're talking about it today is because it weighed 64 metric tons. And this is part of the mission to get people to Mars um, is they're going to have to get rockets that can lift off with so many people in it and luggage and mm. carriers. And just to put that into perspective, I think 64 metric tons is three times what a 737 Boeing plane would have with crew and luggage and right. people. Uh, and I got a bit lost. I kind of glaze over when I have all the numbers because I can't put it into perspective and I can't... Yeah. Well, that's in perspective. That's A 737 yeah. is like a you know plane to Bali. Yeah, okay. Yeah, plane to Bali, three times. Right. That was the weight. And they strapped a Tesla car onto the rocket. And that's why you yeah. see that footage of... I still have this problem, though, where almost every physic issue, I can't get my head around it. Even the most basic principles in physics, I have always struggled to get gain any understanding of it. Mm. And when I did my physics GCSE... I literally learnt the syllabus like I was learning to perform a play, like a script. I had zero understanding of anything that I was writing about. I mm. just remembered that's the answer, and I will write down the answer. And even now, I think this is maybe why I'm slightly disillusioned with the whole space rocket thing. I, I find it, I appreciate it, I think it's really cool, but I don't have anywhere near the amount of passion that so many people have yeah. around it. I definitely have more having researched it. And, and, and to be continued, episode. I feel like we should definitely talk more about yeah, Elon definitely. Musk. And I love that all of his work is innovative and futuristic. Um, and mm. actually there's this hilarious video on YouTube about him talking to graduates, just general graduates. And they, they're asking him, you know, what's your advice? What would you advise people to do when they're, you know, 21 just left college? He's like, the first thing I would do is to encourage you to apply to SpaceX. Test, oh my God, amazing. Uh, we love, we love all graduates. We love all people. We want talent. So please mm. submit your applications and then goes on to the advice, <laughs> which I love. That's um, great. Super inclusive of everybody, uh, which is great. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I had a really good um, lunchtime with James Morton, one of my friends who I mm. work with, and he was very excited when I had, <laughs> when he when I texted him yesterday to say you're going to need to give me a yeah. learning lunch of Tesla and SpaceX and Elon Musk and share your wisdom, um, and it was really great running through my devil's avocado points because for the first time ever I actually thought I'm going to play devil's avocado. <laughs> Yeah. on this podcast but then I did more research into it and then I spoke to James and actually now I don't really feel like what that. were you okay but give us okay, give us so some I had of your two, points I had two main concerns okay first of all environment yeah because I think rocket I think wasteful I think uh, why are you doing fuel. that I think fuel I think debris in space yeah. and I think all of those negative things then I discovered that he's made reusable rockets I know obviously <laughs> Genius. Just like, okay, so that's not quite as much of an issue as I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Which I actually think is, I find that a lot more powerful. Watching the ra- rockets land. The boosters. It's really, really cool. And if you, they actually released this video, which I'm going to link, of all of the failed boosters, like because they tr- obviously have to try it so many times. And he obviously is one of the most successful people ever but he he says in his video in these videos look i failed a million times there are a thousand ways to fail and very few ways to succeed and look at this and it's hilarious the backing music for mm. it um because over three years they did fail a lot mm-hmm. but yes the boosters landing are amazing very cool so the environment points 
were not, uh, they were answered very well by a bit of research and a bit of chatting to James and mm. watching the Gwyn Shotwell yeah. TED Talk. She's amazing. Well, I say TED Talk, it's a conversation with Chris Anderson who also interviews Elon Musk. I yeah. recommend both of those. Yeah. And I guess just realising how much Elon Musk and his companies are doing for the earth already with Solar mm. City yeah. and with Tesla yeah. and with all sorts of different projects that he's got happening. He's actually saving so much energy. And then that mentality is still very much around SpaceX in the way that it hasn't been previously. Massively. So my other, and then my other point was about money. Mm. And then again, I watched this Ted conversation (laughs) (laughs) and Chris Anderson goes, so you've cut the expense of rockets comparative to NASA by 75%. I know, it's incredible. And I was just thinking, oh, well, there goes my other point. (laughs) (laughs) It's still incredibly expensive. And I still do think, I still question, we have so many people in need and so many issues on planet Earth. Mm. Why are we going out to space and the solar system and Mars and Mm. the moon and et cetera, et cetera? Mm. I definitely have never been into sci-fi space stuff it just it doesn't click with me yeah and therefore i can't i don't think i give it the headspace i probably should yeah it is it's an incredible invention and there's a lot of like the brain power that it create it that it takes to make these things happen i think is extraordinary but i don't click with it in the same way that other people do mm. yeah what do maybe, you think about maybe... the whole life on mars thing like colonizing mars <sighs> Well, look at the planet. I mean, look at the planet. We talk about this a lot in the podcast, and you know what, in our lifetime, and maybe our children's lifetime, we won't see this, but eventually, the rate we're going, there's not going to be much planet left, and there's not going to be an environment for us to live. But what if they put every single effort of SpaceX into making the planet healthier and saving that? But could they? Where is it all going to go? All of the debris, all of the plastic? Yeah. Where are all the people going to go? We're just getting bigger. Yeah. You know, we're going to reach 10 billion very Global soon. Global population is such an issue. Such an issue. The weather is an issue. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, the money... I still don't ever want to live on Mars, though. Um, the, 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 the money that he is funding SpaceX with, well, now it's obviously more investors, but originally it was all money he made from PayPal mm. and Tesla, mm. which are incredibly innovative companies. innovative mm. and uh, sustainable I think companies. Chris Anderson explained, he asked Elon Musk kind of how has he done it, and then he sort of answered his own question, and I thought he provided a very good answer, which was the combination and the synthesis of design, technology, and business and the confidence to take crazy risks, like putting your entire fortune... He did, didn't he? If, ...of PayPal yeah. into the other projects. The entire thing. I think it was the Christmas Eve 2008. Um, SpaceX was going under... Um, I think Tesla... What I can't remember. One of the two was going under. There was no investors, no money, and it was the last business day of the year. Mm. And he literally put his entire net worth into that business. Huge gamble. And it succeeded. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. That was 10 years But I think the other thing to say about Elon Musk, just while we're talking about him, is his Mm. absolutely brilliant sense of humour. Yeah. He is one of the... I just love it. His entrepreneur, like, quirkiness is great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I love that he is doing a project um, about... (laughs) um, About getting a train to go from DC to Maryland. Underground. Underground. Yeah. He's called it the Boring Company. 
Yeah. Which is a so brilliant. He said, so he's made this company called the Boring Company, and he's crowdfunding these project projects that's going to well, basically. I think he's make... crowdfunding it. Yeah. Well, it seems that way, and he's selling um, a hat that's basically just black, and it's got the Boring Company on it, and that's it. They've it's just sold... a baseball cap. So a baseball cap. They've sold fifty thousand so far, and what he's going to do with that money is build. Um, commu- basically making commuting more easy and more sustainable mm-hmm. um, in Chicago and New York and DC which is why I think they're the biggest problems uh, yeah. in the East Coast and the Midwest at the moment um, d- definitely the Maryland DC that commute is such a bitch and there's so <laughs> it really is there's, there's not really a great way of doing it it takes such a long time um, and that's so brilliant that he's yeah, just doing so that funny. with a hat really but also one. just with the whole with the f- going bringing it back to fucking heavy having you know, Sp- Starman yeah. played and having the Tesla in the rocket. In ha- space. In space and having the kind of fake man. Um, man Starman. The whole the whole theatricalness yeah. of it. And then in the screen in the car where, you know, the radio normally is, it just says, don't panic, which is hilarious. Because <laughs> obviously the driver could get a bit scared, you know. <laughs> but then I thought that around. was brilliant. In Gwyn Shotwell's um Who's the president of SpaceX, by the way. She's mm-hmm. been working for Elon Musk for 16 years. Superwoman, super glam, two kids. I'm literally one of my biggest... One of my biggest inspirations now. I'd love to have she's her amazing. as a dinner party guest. Yeah, she's an incredible woman. Yeah. Mm. Um, and she was talking about the escape routes that they have mm. built in and all of the safety features. And I just so can't imagine how... This is where I do think it's... It, I, I do really click with it, is the, the intelligence that goes into yeah. building all of this. And I really liked talking to James about this earlier today, about the actual structure of why they've made it so much um, more efficient, both in terms of the cost and in terms of actually the machine and making it reusable. And he was explaining how they make everything in-house. So they have huge factories and all of the pieces that are Mm. required are made by them. So they don't have to outsource anything. And then it's, I think it's called vertical integration. Mm. And so the way that they're building it is, yeah, more cost effective, more efficient, and obviously has all the safety element of it thought through mm. as well. But And a huge vision. Yeah. Huge vision. Yeah. Huge vision. Pretty cool. And I really liked, this is actually where I did like it, Gwyn Shotwell's um, vision, out-visioning Elon Musk, mm. in that she said, I want to go to other solar systems, and I want to yeah. meet other people in other solar yeah. systems. That's so mind-boggling, isn't it? It is. Ah. It is. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of The Figure Podcast. We really, really, really appreciate everyone's amazing emails and messages you know who you are. Thank you so much. It really means so much to us. Every time we see them, yeah, we it literally get so happy. Um, <laughs> uh, and remember that you can come and find us on Instagram, at Figure Podcast. We post all of the photos of the things that we're talking about, as well as keeping you up to date with the events that we're going to. And we've got some really good ones coming up, including Scarlett Curtis's book launch. And she's doing that alongside Deborah Francis Wright. Live Little. Live Little. Um, and it's about her book, which yeah. obviously, because it's a book launch, um, <laughs> which is called Feminists Don't Wear Pink and Other Lies. Yeah. And it's a curated book with, I think, over 50 women who've yeah. all shared different essays yeah. on their perspective on this. Yep. We also have a live recording of Emma Gannon's podcast, Control, Control Delete, Delete yeah. which is coming up. So, yeah, we're going to post all the details of that and all the images that we talk about in the podcast. Yeah. And please continue to send in messages. We love hearing from you. And also ideas about future figures, things you want to hear about. 
So if you want to do that, you can tweet us at figurepodcast or you can email us at thefigurepodcast at gmail.com. Until next week, bye-bye. <laughs>